Morning, everyone. Great to be here. Keep uh, Romans 8 in front of you and uh, let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can call you Father, <laughs> that we can be together here, that you speak to us by your word, uh, that we're justified, cleansed, forgiven. Uh, but thank you so much that that means we're adopted as your children. And we ask this morning, please help us to grasp more deeply what that adoption means for us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, to be adopted as a child of God changes everything. Changes absolutely everything. It, it, it changes our whole existence now and forever. It changes the whole way we live our lives, the way we see ourselves, the way we experience every single day. To be adopted as a child of the living God changes absolutely everything. A few weeks ago, friends of ours officially adopted their foster son. Uh, they'd been fostering him for many years and after a long, long, long process had finally been approved for adoption. And so when the day finally came... They travelled as a family down to the Supreme Court in Sydney and their foster son was officially signed over from the state to them. He was officially adopted as their child. And it was done really beautifully. Uh, the, the judge made it special, memorable, fun, and the family spent a couple of days marking it as a very special and beautiful occasion. But the thing that struck me from chatting to the dad was how being adopted had changed the whole bearing of his son. So he'd been living with them for a number of years as a foster child, a full member of the family, but being officially adopted had actually done something within him. So within him there was this new confidence, a new security, a new level of belonging, a new joy, even a relief. To be adopted had had an immediate and beautiful impact upon this little boy, not to mention the fact that he is now fully their son for the rest of his life. Human adoption is profoundly beautiful and wonderfully Christian. And can I commend it to you? It makes a massive radical impact in a child's life. But how much more radical is the change that takes place when God adopts us as his child? To be adopted by God changes absolutely everything. It is a shift from one state of existence to another. And it's all by grace. As we've been seeing over the last number of the weeks, it's God alone who saves, who takes the initiative, who reaches out, who sends his son, who dies on our behalf, who atones for all our sin. So if our trust is in Jesus, we are cleansed, we are forgiven, we are justified. But not just cleansed, not just forgiven, not just right and no longer under God's judgment, but actually adopted. Adopted into the very family of God. And this becomes the fundamental new reality for every Christian from that moment forward. The controlling experience of our whole existence. I am a child of God. And all of life is experienced through that reality, through that relationship. What I'm going to attempt to do this morning is immerse us in how incredible it is to be adopted as a child of God. I'm going to do it by giving us eight massive reality shifts that take place when someone becomes a child of God. Now, eight, you think, oh, that's going to take a long time. Don't worry, I'm going to move quickly through each one of them. But hopefully by the end, we're immersed in something of the wonder and the beauty of our adoption. Reality shift one. When we're adopted by God, we move from being God's enemy to God's child. Enemy to child. Look at Romans 8, the passage that was read for us. Look at verse 6. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is the non-Christian mind. Jez spoke about this a couple of weeks ago. We used to live in the realm of the flesh, that is the realm controlled by sin and death. But this is us before we are Christians. Verse 7. 
The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Before you were a Christian, your mind was controlled by the flesh and was hostile to God, hated God. Now, whether we admit it or not, in our heart of hearts, we hated him. In our minds, we were hostile to him, against him. We would not submit to God's way of life, nor could we submit to God's way of life. We couldn't please God in any way. We treated God as if he was our enemy, but worse, that meant that God treats us as if we are his enemies. Rebels against the God who has created everything, who has given us life, who has given us all that we have. And so we are enemies of God and under his just eternal condemnation. But because of the work of Jesus for us, verse 1, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Because verse 3, God sent his own son as a sin offering to pay for our sin, to pay for our rebellion, our hostility towards God and meet the righteous requirements of the law on our behalf. So if you're in Christ, you are not condemned. Not condemned, forgiven, cleansed, justified, but not even just all that, adopted. Adopted as the very children of God. Verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And it's possible to think those led by the Spirit of God, oh, that must be a special group of Christians with a special experience of the Spirit. No, 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 no. It's just a way of describing all Christians. They're the ones who walk in the footsteps of the Spirit, go the way of the Spirit, live the life of the Spirit, are in the realm of the Spirit. Christians are the Spirit ones. And you can see that's the case from verses 9 to 12. But look at the profound thing it says by the led by the Spirit person about the Christian. Child of God. Adopted by him, verse 15. Think with this a little bit about me. With me. <laughs> about me. Don't think about me. To adopt a child into your family is a profoundly selfless and loving thing to do. To have someone who's not your family become part of your family, it costs yourself, it costs your family to care for them, protect them, provide for them, love them. What a profound and selfless act of love. But imagine the one up for adoption was your enemy. They hated you. They mistreated you. They did you wrong. They were openly hostile to you. They were a, a gang member who regularly came around and vandalised your house who terrorised the other members of your family, and you adopt that one, enemy, as your child. Would you adopt that one? I wouldn't adopt that one. God adopts that one. Rebels, sinners, hostile to God, having nothing of any goodness or value to bring God, but in Christ, cleansed, forgiven, adopted as God's children. In the ancient Roman Empire, adoption was common practice, but it wasn't usually adopting a little baby or a child. It was actually adopting an adult into your family. Uh, it was usually for the purpose of you didn't have an heir and so you need an heir and you brought them into your household. But it was also a way of binding together two families. So the wealth, the prestige, the reputation came with the adopted person. And so you can see in this sort of adoption in the Roman Empire, it was often very self-motivated. Yes, it benefited the adopted person because they became your heir, but it also benefited the person doing the adopting because they came across often with their own wealth or their own reputation, binding the two families together to make them more powerful. And so you can see that it's very self-motivated. Not so God's adoption. God gets nothing out of the deal. 
adopts hostile rebels, people who are opposed to him and have nothing to offer, which is why the Apostle John can cry out, what, how great is the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. When we're adopted as God's child, we move from being God's enemy to God's child. And so we move from fear to security. Have a look at verse 14. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Those who are in Christ have received the Spirit and are no longer slaves to fear. No longer need to fear God's condemnation of them because Jesus was condemned in our place. No longer need to fear that we've never done quite enough good things, religious things, right things to be right with God. Christ has done it all. Rather, by the Spirit, we've been adopted as God's children and as God's children know our Father intimately and, and can cry out to God, Abba, Father, the very words that Jesus, the unique Son of God, used in the Garden of Gethsemane, we can now use. No longer enemies but love children and so having nothing to fear. There is no condemnation, but only the absolute love of our Father towards us. We stand in a very different place. And notice verse 16. God's Spirit testifies with our spirit that we're His children. God's Spirit bears witness in our most inner place that we are loved children of God. The Holy Spirit confirms the promise of the Word of God that I am His child. And so deep within each Christian there develops a deeper and deeper confidence, I'm a child of God, loved by Him. As I was chatting to that friend who had adopted his foster son, he said something that I thought was very, very powerful and profound. He said this, To me, He is our child. There's no difference in how I think of Him and treat Him and love Him to how I think of and treat and love my other children. Adoption isn't, I'll care for you like you're my child. No, it's you are my child. It's not just that God treats us like children, he actually adopts us as his beloved children and works by his spirit so that we know it in the deepest place so that fear is replaced with confidence, I will not be condemned. I do not need to work for my salvation. My father's love is towards me. I'm secure and loved from fear to security. From cut off to access... I think people often assume that they can obviously pray to God, have access to God. Of course, it's, it's why God's there, isn't it? So I can ask him for things and he answers me. That's his job, isn't it? The assumption is utterly wrong. No one can just pray to God and have God listen to them and answer him. This is God, the ruler of the universe, above, beyond, over all things. You can't just come into his presence and have access to him and talk to him, no one can approach the creator of all. And worse, we are enemies of God, hostile to him. Can we really think that an enemy should be able to approach the living God in prayer and expect him to listen to us in any way? No. Sinful human beings are totally cut off from God, cannot talk and have him listen. Prayer is a family privilege. Only God's children have access to their heavenly father. We can only pray because Jesus and his work has brought about our adoption as children. And so now God is our Father and we have unhindered access to him and can talk to him anytime, anywhere, any place. Ask him for anything. We can, verse 15, pray just like Jesus did. Abba, 
Father. Access in prayer to our Heavenly Father just as Jesus did. Now you've probably seen this um, photo before. This is um, in the little hole down the bottom, JFK Jr. Uh, he, he used to love to play around under his father's feet, poking his head out of what he called the secret door. Now the significant thing about this photo is his father just happens to be the President of the United States. And this is the Oval Office. Now, we can't just roll into the Oval Office. We can't just walk and have access into the presence of the President of the United States. You draw anywhere near and the Secret Service is going to be all over you. And and imagine an enemy of the President of the United States. They are not getting anywhere near him. But a son, a child, can play at his feet happy and safe because he's a dearly loved child. We now, like that, have access as children of God to our Heavenly Father. The ability to pray directly to him and he will hear and answer our requests in love. And if you're here today and you know that God is not yet your Heavenly Father, let me tell you the prayer that you can be sure he will hear and he will answer if you pray it. Please forgive me and make me your child. You you might want to pray that now just in your heart of hearts. Please forgive me. And make me your child. And God will do it. From cut off to access. From lonely to loved. Perfectly loved by our Heavenly Father. Way better than any of our human fathers. Whether they were great human fathers or very poor human fathers. Our Father has demonstrated his own love for us. In that his Son came and died on the cross for us. Add to this, God is always with us. The all-present one. Wherever you go, whatever you do, your Father is with you and his love is towards you and so you are never alone. Whatever circumstances you might find yourself in in this world, whoever might be with you or might not be with you, God is with you and he loves you. In Hebrews, the Lord says, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you if you're his child. Nothing can separate us from his love. Flip over to verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? And the answer, verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from God and his love. Not in this life, not in the difficulties and sufferings of this life, not in death itself, not in eternity, because of what the Lord Jesus has done in bringing us to be adopted as God's children. We are loved and will always be loved. Now, doesn't that change everything? We can rest from fear and loneliness. Every one of us finds ourselves at times lost and lonely. But as Christians... When we're lonely, when we're anxious, when we're frightened, when we're desperate, we can remind ourselves, I'm not actually alone. My Father is with me. His love is towards me and it will never be taken from me. We may not see it, but it is no less real. From lonely to loved. From hopeless to hope-filled. Notice in verse 15 it says, The spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Sonship. Now, in the original language, it doesn't actually have sonship right there, but it's trying to pick up the word sons that's actually there in verse 14, which we can't see in our NOV. But actually, verse 14 says, For those led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God, not children of God, sons of God. Now, if you're a female, you might think, well, that's pretty sexist. 
I don't want to be a son. And I feel that. You know, in Revelation, we're called the bride of Christ. And I think, well, I don't want to be the bride. I want to be one of the groomsmen. Actually, I wouldn't mind being the best man. And Jesus said, no, no, you're the bridegroom. But there's a reason we're called sons. Jesus was the unique son of his father. And so if we're in him, everything true of him is true of us. And so if we're in him, the son of God, we are become the sons of God. But the other big thing about being sons in the ancient world was sons got the inheritance. And you can see that's what's on Paul's mind here in a big way. Look at verse 17. Now, if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Christ, as the son, is the heir. He inherits all the fullness of everything from his Father. And so we as sons, because we're in Jesus the Son, share in his inheritance, are co-heirs with Christ. Because we've been adopted, we now have a sure and certain hope, an eternal inheritance that's coming for us. And that inheritance is first and foremost God himself for all eternity, but also all the blessings that come with that in the new creation forever. Oh, we will share in the sufferings of Christ in this life, verse 17. But as we share in those sufferings, we know it means we're also sharing his glory. And there will come a day, verse 23, when we'll experience the final adoption to sonship. And you probably think, hang on, Graham, haven't you been saying we're already adopted as God's children? Yes. But like every blessing we have in Christ, we have it now, but not in all its fullness. We're adopted as God's beloved children now, but our full adoption a full unhindered experience of relationship with God forever, that waits until the return of Jesus and the ushering in of the new creation. That's the inheritance we're looking forward to. We were hopeless, without God, without hope in the world. But when we put our faith in Jesus, we were united to him, adopted as sons, and so as sons became heirs. And so the whole of experience of our life is now looking forward every day, one step closer to home. A whole bunch of you right now are looking forward to the end of the year, aren't you? You know, two, three weeks' time, holidays are coming, rest, slowing down, family, friends, food. And doesn't that totally change the way that you're approaching the next two or three weeks? Because there's hope. There's hope at the end. Transforms everything. Well, as heirs, we can live every day like that in the certain hope of forever with our Heavenly Father. From hopeless to hope-filled. From anxiety to rest. If you live in this world like I do, you know there's so much brokenness, suffering, tragedy and pain that it makes you anxious. Our world is this way because of our sin. Humanity's rebellion against God is so terrible that the just judge has turned the whole world over to frustration, verse 20, to slavery to decay, verse 21. And so the experience now for human beings in this world is suffering, frustration, decay, groaning, death... And Christians are not exempt. You can see that in verse 17, 18. It's hard not to be very anxious in this sort of world because tragedy or disaster could be just around the corner for me and the people I care about. And every one of us, if I just chatted to you, has some sort of pain or suffering just, just near you. And death is always looming before us. But for the Christian, it's different. We have God as our Father. We have eternal inheritance coming. And in this life, our Father is in control of all things because he is the Lord of all things. And so every single thing that happens to us 
is from the hand of our loving Heavenly Father for our good. Look at verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We know that in all the circumstances of life in this broken world, including in our sufferings and difficulties and hardships and good times, God promises he is working for the good in all things of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't say God is working in all things for the good of everyone. No, no, no. The promise is for those who love him who have been called according to his purpose, for his children. God works in all things for the good of his children. In every circumstance, small or big, God is working for your good if you're a Christian. And the good that God is working for is verse 29, to make you more like Jesus and keep you safe for eternity with him. That's the greatest good, the profound good God is working in your life, to make you like Christ for eternity and glory with him. There's this missionary by the name of uh, John Patton. He and his wife Mary... Uh, went to Vanuatu, to the island of Tanner in the mid-19th century. They went there to seek to faithfully share the gospel with an island filled with cannibals. Three months after arriving, Mary gave birth to her first child, but soon after, the baby died. Not long after that, Mary herself became sick and she died as well. Now, can you imagine that? Can you imagine being John? Other side of the world, alone, your wife has died, your child has died. How would you cope? This is what he wrote in his journal about the death of his wife. I felt her loss beyond all conception or description in that dark land. It was very difficult to be resigned, left alone and in sorrowful circumstances. But feeling immovably assured that my God and Father was too wise and too loving to err in anything that he does or permits, I looked up to the Lord for help and struggled on his work. Did you hear that? Assured that my God and Father was too wise and too loving to err to make a mistake in anything he does or permits. No, my blessed Lord Jesus makes no mistakes. And so as we find ourselves anxious... We can actually rest in the knowledge that our Heavenly Father is in full control and every single thing that happens to us in this life is from his loving hand for our good, the good of making us like Jesus and keeping us for eternity. Now that's a very different way of living, isn't it? My Father is looking after me from anxiety to rest, from living to, for me to living for my Father. Before we were Christians, we just lived for ourselves. I just did things my way, lived how I wanted, and that might include being good to our friends and loving our family, but it wasn't for God. But once God becomes your Father who loves you dearly, the instinct becomes, I will obey and love Him. I will serve Him. I will live for Him, who has lavished such love upon me. Just as Jesus, the unique Son of the Father, loved and obeyed His Father in all things, so now as the Son... We are to love and obey our Father in all things. And so our whole life shifts from being about me and living for me or for living for the approval of others to living in obedience to my Father who loves me. And that means being about the Father's business. In the ancient world, if you're a son, you grew up learning the trade from your father and eventually took over the family business. And so, same with God's children. We learn the trade from our dad, the family business from our dad. And his business is... Making followers of the Lord Jesus. More followers, deeper followers. Our Father's core business is to become our core business too. And key to this is loving God's other children. 
As you're adopted into God's family, he becomes your father. You find you're a child, but there's a whole bunch of other children, and so we become brothers or sisters. And it should be a natural thing for God's children to love and care for each other. But because we're still in the flesh, we need the command to love each other. Loving one another is essential to living as an adopted child of God. What a different way to live. Living each day, not for myself, not for the approval of others, but under the gaze of my heavenly Father, living for him, to love him, honour him, serve him, obey him, to be about his business of disciple-making, to love his family, from living for me to living for my Father. And finally, from having nothing to having everything. Because if you've got God as your Father, you have everything. The most precious, the most wonderful, the most beautiful, the most incredible thing you could possibly imagine is God. So imagine God wanted to give you the greatest, best, most precious gift he possibly could. What would he give you? Himself, which is what he gives us in adoption, a father-son relationship, father-child relationship. God gives himself to us in love. And if we come to God really just to get other things from him, he taints the whole relationship. So if you come to God really because you're after wealth, prosperity, answers to prayer, a better life, rather than coming to him for him as your father, you taint the whole thing. When I was getting married, I brought nothing to the marriage financially. I had nothing to offer. But Megan brought a substantial dowry. She had worked for many years at Wendy's and uh, Pizza Hut and had saved up and bought a Hyundai XL. So she was bringing a car, Hyundai XL, to the marriage, and I was bringing nothing. But you know what? In the lead-up to the wedding, as I was getting more and more excited about getting married, I never once thought about the car. (laughs) I thought about Megan. She was what I loved. She was what I wanted. And whether she brought the car for us to use was neither here or there. But imagine this. On our wedding day, we're in the church. It's a solemn occasion. Standing there is the minister. The vows, he comes to call me to make the vows. Graham. Will you take Megan to be your wife, to live together according to God's law? Will you give her the honour due her as your wife and forsaking all others, love and protect her as long as you both shall live? And I say, could you just show me a photo of the car one more time? (laughs) Oh, I couldn't care less about the car. I wanted her because apart from under God, she was everything. And that's to be our attitude to God, not the things that we can get from him. Before we were adopted, we had nothing. In fact, worse than nothing, only the prospect of eternal condemnation. But when we were adopted by God, we received everything because we got him, a relationship of love with him. Now, I hope you can see the picture that this is forming. To be adopted as a child of God just changes absolutely everything. The whole way we live our lives and see the world and see ourselves and experience each day. I was an enemy, but by the work of Jesus being adopted as God's child, loved, cared for, precious to him. And so I don't need to be afraid, but can be secure because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I never have to work to try to earn my salvation because Jesus has done it all. My Father's love is towards me and the Spirit reminds me deep within of the Father's love for me. And now I have unhindered access to my Father. I can speak to him in prayer anywhere, anytime, and know he hears and know he loves and know he answers. And every day my Father is with me and his love is towards me. Wherever I go, whatever I do, I am never alone. And as his child, I'm his heir. I will receive an eternal inheritance that is coming my way, life forever with my heavenly Father in a perfect new creation. And so every day is one step closer to heaven, my ultimate home. 
And rather than only living in anxiety about the sufferings and struggles of daily life, I can slowly develop a confidence that even in these, my Father is in control and he's working for my good. And everything that happens is from his loving hand to me to make me more like Jesus so that I can be with him for all eternity. And I can live each day as his child, the child of my father, seeking to love him, obey him, serve him, be about the family business of making more disciples, loving the family of God. And all this in the knowledge that if I have God as my father, I have everything. The most wonderful, precious, valuable, greatest, most important thing there could ever be. Do you see how being adopted as God's child just it changes absolutely everything? So to apply this now, let me do it under two headings. Embracing this reality and embracing my identity. Firstly, embracing this reality. If you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, this is reality. So am I embracing it? Do I really live each day embracing the reality God is my Father and his perfect love is towards me? I'm loved, care for, accepted, and I will not be condemned. Do I live each moment in every circumstance when I'm lonely, reaching out to him as my father in the knowledge that he is with me and his love is towards me and nothing can ever separate me from that love, cultivating a trust in his promise that he'll never let me go? Do I embrace the privilege of prayer that I can talk to my heavenly father? that I can ask for things and he answers, that I can thank him for things. Am I living my life each day with my, in a relationship with my Father where prayer is never far from me? It's the instinct of my life to be talking to my Father and listening to him in his word. Do I live each day like heaven is my home? That's where I really belong. That's where I'm really going. Looking forward to, longing for the eternal inheritance that's coming. In my anxieties and sufferings and hardships, do I turn to my Father? knowing that it's all under his sovereign control, trust that he's doing good for me. It's from a loving father moulding me to be more like his son, keeping me safe for heaven. Do I live each day like a son of the father? He's the father, I'm under his authority, and so I want to obey him and serve him and honour him, the father who has loved me so much. Do I live like this is my Christian family, like these really are my brothers and sisters, to be cared for, to be loved, to help grow? And do I live as if the most precious thing in all the world is God is my Father and there's nothing more precious than that? That's the challenge I find. Am I embracing the reality that God is my Father? Am I embracing the relationship of God as my Father? And the second application is, am I embracing my identity as child of God? So you think with this about me. What is it that defines me? What is it that makes me, me? Who, who am I? What is my most core and fundamental identity? There may be many pieces, many parts to who I am, to who I see myself to be. It's a complex thing. But what's the heading? What's the title page? What's the fundamental defining core of me, of who I am, my identity? If I'm a Christian, it should be dearly loved child of God. Because if you're in Christ, that's the most fundamental reality of who you are. Dearly loved child of God. Or am I finding my core identity in something else? Because to have something else as your core identity is no good for you. It will become a need. It will drive you. You'll be driven towards that thing and need that thing. It's no good for the those around us for the same reason and it's dishonouring to God. 
And so as Christians, I think what we need to do is keep working at letting go of competing identity pieces, working at more and more seeing the core of identity to be a dearly loved child of God. And so, am I letting go of finding my identity in other things, like finding my identity in being the best at something? That's who I am. The best lawn bowler. That's me. I'm the best chess player. That's who I am. Let go of needing to be the best in whatever field. Are we letting go of finding our identity in being the person who always achieves, who succeeds, who gets the job done? Or finding our identity in being the person that others really need. I'm the one that people come to. I'm the one that people rely on. Or finding my identity in being the person who always has everything under control. Or finding my identity in being the person who always gets the details perfect. Or finding my identity in being the person who doesn't need help from anyone else because I'm a self-reliant person. Or finding my identity in my career, whatever that may be or my kids, or my house, or my wealth, or my paycheck, or my, or finding my identity in my sport, or my hobby, or finding my identity in being unique, being special, there's no one like me, or finding my identity in being smarter than others, or my identity in my gender or sexuality, or my my identity in being the cool one, or my identity in my looks, or my identity in my subculture, or... Are we letting go, working at letting go of these unworthy competing identity pieces which will eventually let us down and actually drive us in unhealthy ways because they'll become deep heart needs for us? It could be something like this. A man largely subconsciously thinks, who am I? At core, who am I? And he comes to the conclusion, I am ice hockey champion. Now, he's very good at ice hockey. He's actually been on a national champion team. That is who I am, ice hockey champion. But a couple of years pass, and the young punks coming through in the ice hockey scene are just way better than him. Who am I? The fundamental core of who he is is suddenly shaking. If I'm not ice hockey champion, what is my identity? Who am I? And so like a drowning man who's lost the plank of wood that they're clinging to, flails about looking for another plank of wood to hold him up. Who am I at core? And grabs hold of, I'm the best at my career. Everyone looks up to me. Everyone asks me for advice. See me moving up the career path. That's who I am. I'm the best teacher. I'm the best doctor. I'm the best builder. But then things go bad. Physical, mental health suffers. You get retrenched. Your career's over. Who am I if I'm not the best at my career? And so again, drowning, flails about, looking for another plank to hold them up. Who am I? I'm a father. That's who I am. I'm a dad. But then your child goes off the rails or they grow up and they just don't need you the way they used to and the very core of who you see yourself to be is snatched away and you're left with, who am I? People spend their lives like drowning people looking for something to grab hold of to give stability to their identity. But if you're in Christ, you're a child of God, dear to him, precious to him, and nothing can threaten that, and that becomes our most, is to become our most fundamental core and defining identity. And we do well if we consciously embrace this core defining identity more and more by keeping preaching it to ourselves, reminding ourselves that this is reality, and letting go of those other competing identity pieces 
letting them just fade into the background because they're so unimportant compared to this. You know, you're an Olympic champion. Well, that's nothing compared to being a child of God. Just let that shift to the back of your identity. You're really good at your job. You're really gifted in ministry. You're really smart or people admire you or everyone knows you or let those little pieces of who you are just shift into the background because they're nothing compared to your fundamental identity, which is beloved child of God. Is this the fundamental way you see yourself and operate in the world? Dearly loved child of God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you so much for giving us you, the most valuable and precious and beautiful and wonderful thing there is. Father, we are amazed that you would adopt us as your dearly loved children, that you love us, that you're with us, that you're doing good to us, that we can pray to you, that heaven is our home, that we can live our lives for you, that every Christian is our brother or sister. We thank you for all of this. And we ask, Father, please help us more and more every day to live in step with the reality that you are our heavenly Father, to embrace this wonderful relationship and to let it shape the very core of who we see ourselves to be. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.